Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Fondlessness, fondlessness, fondlessness. Having fun. Just a few left for 2019, everybody. I will be in Oklahoma City on Thursday, November 7th, and then the next night right off to Milwaukee, Friday, November 8th, Sunday, November 17th, one show at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, and then jumping into December, I am in Richmond, Virginia on Friday, December 6th and Durham, North Carolina for two shows, Saturday, December 7th. Now, those shows are special. They will be stand up, but it's called Christmas with a touch of comedy. Um, Nope, it's called comedy with a touch of Christmas. And I will be doing my normal act, but there'll be some fun Christmas related sketch and there'll be some charity and some gifts for people. And it's it's just going to be fucking fantastic and it is I didn't pick you guys for this reason it just sort of happened um anyway I'm I'm I check emails when I do this and I know I shouldn't do this I'm not going to put this at the beginning of the podcast this will just be after the theme song um guys sorry that's what I do I you now you can see what it looks like it's like I'm on my computer checking my email I shouldn't do that okay so uh, I'll take that over I'll take that over this will be this will just be now fuck it keep it in all right that's how the podcast starts today oh what was i saying oh and then december 13th my god how could i forget at the hollywood improv it's the seventh annual dysfunctional christmas show my dear friend starred in a hallmark movie this year and i'm going to interview him there's going to be uh special special guests i never say who they are in advance and again it's the greatest show of the year it's stand-up it's sketch it's music it's candy it's charity it's amazing so Get your tickets. Everything right now is on jenkirkman.com. And I do have some 2020 dates on sale. Just go to my goddamn website and look at what it is. Uh, January is all about California. Sacramento and San Diego, they're already on sale now. So just go ahead. I'll, I'll probably talk about it a little more later. So, oh my God, here we go. Having Funlessness episode 307. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. I am an author. I am a podcaster. What is this podcast? Well, it's a conversation. It's what's been going on in my head, in the world, and in my life in the past week. Is it funny? Sometimes. Is it serious? Sometimes. Is it stand-up comedy? Certainly not. If you would like to enjoy my stand-up comedy, go to Netflix and watch my two specials. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and just keep living. Otherwise, this is a conversation. One-sided. So, what we're going to talk about this week is my travels to Amsterdam. I have a life hack for you guys about what to do when you're bummed and you come home from vacation and you can have something waiting for your something waiting for you. Um, talking about a, a guy at the Jewish Cultural Center who liked Donald Trump. I had sort of a fit at him. Um, no small talk in Amsterdam. It was the greatest week of my fucking life. And then I'm going to talk about my trip to Oslo. And I had a little altercation on a cruise in the fjords, but 
you know, everything was fine. I also had a little altercation at the symphony in Amsterdam. So, you know, it it, it wouldn't be me if it was um, just all smooth sailing, although it was really amazing. And we have some listener emails for you. And so let us get to it. So I just got back from Amsterdam and uh, Oslo. Here's one of my life hacks is, and I know everybody does this, but you know when you can go in and control your email um, what, autoresponder? I don't put any of that. Well, I don't have an assistant, but I don't put any. If this is urgent, contact Marcy at jenkirkman.net. I, no, no. Contact no one. It's not an emergency. Emergencies would be somebody died and people will text me for that. The email... I, I had an auto respond that said, you know, it was a joking one that said, I'm out of the country. They don't have email in other countries, but just a polite way of saying, get off my ass. I'd like to take a fucking vacation. For once in my life, I actually had a few days off where I didn't sit and do work because I'm a one woman machine. Like I run things for my podcast. I run things for my tour. I'm pitching shows. I'm doing this. I'm ba, ba, ba. And uh, there's always stuff to do. And if I don't do it, it piles up. And I was like, let it pile up. But I know you can't just not answer emails and people get anxious. So I had my responder on, but I said it for two days after I got back. I lied. You got to lie on these things. That's how you take care of yourself. Don't go, I'm back the 13th. And then you're back the 13th. And everyone's like, that's right. Hey, just checking in again. I said I'm back on the 15th. I wasn't back on the 15th. I was back the morning of the 14th. I gave myself a day and a half to just have, I just saw those emails come in and I knew the autoresponder was sending it out. Oh, I'm somewhere, not here. Oh, it was glorious. It was glorious. And so another thing I did, so I'm pretty obsessed with coffee table decor and how it all looks. And so I've told you guys, I'm not yet in the Christmas spirit. I'm usually in it by now. I'm usually thinking of decorating. I'm still not that into it for this year. But I was looking at my coffee table when I left for Europe because once I start packing, I start organizing things for Goodwill and rearranging my home. And so I was doing that the day before I left. And I always do this naked. So I know this sounds weird. I take all my clothes off and I walk around also barefoot. Well, that would be weird if I had like sneakers on. And um, I pack because sometimes I'm like, oh, let me just quick try this on, make sure it still fits. And then I just stay naked the whole day and rearrange things in my home. So I'm not trying to be like all sexy. It's not like a sexy naked. Um, it's an awkward naked naked. So anyway, standing around naked in my living room going, I'm really bummed about my coffee table. I love the coffee table itself. I love my coffee table books. I love my trinkets. There was just something wrong about the placement of everything that was driving me fucking crazy. So I Googled ideas for decorating or, you know, what do you call it? Not decorating, but accessorizing square coffee tables. And of course, things come up. I look at some Pinterests and I rearranged things I already owned on the coffee table and I felt like a new person. There is something to feng shui after all. Not that I ever doubted it. I just never really thought about it. And, but there was this one part where right on the coffee table books, I thought this needs a nice bouquet of flowers and not me going to Trader Joe's and getting some daisies and throwing them in a balsam jar or whatever the fuck they're called. Bell jar. What are they called? I, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's going to come to me. Let it come to me. This is menopause brain. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to look it up. So I'm on, I need like, I need like a Miranda Priestly, well, that's a character, but like Anna Wintour, photo shoot at the Vogue office, fancy person fucking flowers. I need them exactly on this coffee table book. It's obviously I'm leaving in the morning for the flight, so I'm not going to do that now. But I went, I'm going to be bummed when I get home from this trip. I know I am. It's just going to be right back into the hell of everyday life and traffic in L.A. and meetings and this. And I went, I'm going to order myself flowers and have them delivered for the day that I'm back. Because when I'm back, I don't want to go and do anything. I got back at 6 p.m., worst traffic ever. I was just, ugh. I've been traveling for well over 20 hours. And so I did. I ordered myself like the fancy flowers in a nice arrangement. I only like white flowers. So I said, please, only white flowers. That was one of the choices, by the way. I wasn't like a bitch in an email, like, excuse me. So... 
And they arrived. And I know people, especially if my doorman knew, and it sounds like I'm being fancy when I say my doorman, I just live in a condo that has a guy at the front desk. And he actually doesn't wear a doorman outfit, nor does he open the door. He just sits at the desk and makes sure um, that things don't get stolen or people don't get murdered. And um, But every time I've bought flowers and I've walked by some of these guys, they're like, oh, buying flowers for yourself as though it's a sad thing. And I'm like, let's take romance out of... I love flowers. If anyone wants to give me flowers, please do. But even like when I'm on the road, I will get flowers if I'm somewhere for like a few days and put them in my room. So to me, it's decor. It is not romance. And because I only like white flowers, like I don't like red roses or things like that. If you give me a red rose, I'll throw it in your fucking face, right? Because I, I just think they're tacky looking. But I'm telling you, flowers to me aren't romantic. Now, Yes, if I were in a relationship with someone and they gave me my bouquet of white flowers as a gift, I'd be like, that's so great. But I would think of it more as that's an amazing gift. The way if they gave me uh, a jar of my favorite face cream, (laughs) it wouldn't be like a romantic thing. It would be like, these are the things I like and you just bought me some. So to me, flowers, sending them to myself doesn't make me sad. But um, you had to fill out. There was no option to skip filling out the card. So I had to write a note to myself and I just wrote, welcome back, Jen. And I was like, well, that's, you know, if the doorman reads it, there could be a, a girl named Jen that sent her friend Jen flowers. Lots of people are named Jen. You know, maybe he thinks it's Jen Aniston, Jennifer Lopez. I don't, he doesn't know. So I get the fly. It was the greatest thing I ever did. I got home. They had put them right outside my apartment door. I didn't even have to deal with anyone at the front desk. I put them right where I wanted them to be. And I was like, this is gorgeous. Now, I can't spend money like this every week on flowers. But once in a while, I'm telling you, that's a great life hack that you can do for yourself. Because, again, I assume if you're going on vacation, you've got a couple extra bucks to add the the sending yourself flowers in as part of your vacation budget. Okay. So I want to ask if I have any scientists out there. It's hard not to look up and say hi to you guys. I want to ask if there's any scientists out there, or I don't know if even if it's a scientist that would know this, but is there something in every human's body where, I'm not, I'm not even going to say this right, where our own personal chakra meridian something lines up with a certain part of the globe, and we may never know our soulmate. Uh, our land soulmate if we've never been to certain places and and if if you just feel uncomfortable all of the time is is is, is could it ever be because you're living in, in the wrong grid or something so I've never been interested in going to Amsterdam and and when I got there I didn't even do my first thing yet I felt this is it I feel home I feel relaxed I feel happy I feel free I feel right. It's not even a mood or an emotion. It, it wasn't, oh, because you're on vacation. It was a, it felt right. It felt right. It felt like everything fell into place on some chemical level. And I didn't lose that feeling all week. And in fact, when I left to go to Oslo, even though that's a beautiful place, I was angry and sad as though I were, had fallen in love with a human and had to leave them. I was devastated. So we'll get to that in a minute. Part of my being in Amsterdam was interesting for me because I was walking around a little bit of shame, if I can Brene Brown all you guys for a minute. And I was thinking, I I actually had to grieve something while I was in Amsterdam. I had to grieve um, something that happened. Well, how how much is um, 45 minus 19? Wait, hang on. 35, 25, 26. 26 years ago. Oh my God, how have I lived that long? And I don't even think 45 is old. I'm not saying I'm old. I'm just saying like, that's a lot of years. So when I was 19, I was at college and you could study if you went to Emerson College abroad in Amsterdam in a castle for an entire semester uh, for the acting program. And I opted not to do it because I had such bad panic and anxiety, and it was undiagnosed at that point. It was only just, I would call them my weird feelings, and I I knew it was on the spectrum of mental health, but back then we just had normal and crazy. And so if you were crazy, it was like, oh, you'll probably get lobotomized and have to live in an institution. So I just didn't even want to tell anybody that I couldn't breathe all the time, and I was having panic attacks, and I was anxious. 
And anxiety and panic are two different things. We've talked about it a million times on this podcast. And then I was depressed. And I just was as rebellious as I felt inside, as much as I wanted to get away and do my own thing, I was strangely anchored to where I grew up. I was afraid to go anywhere. And I was afraid to go to Amsterdam. It wasn't just the flight, but I was terrified of the prospect of flying overseas. Had no meds at that point. I mean, they existed. I just didn't know about that you could take them. Um, And I thought, well, being away for three months, I'll feel discombobulated the whole time. I can't, I can't do it. And so when you have that kind of anxiety, it's a relief not to go to things, but somewhere deep down, deep down to where you can't access it. Cause if you did, it would be too painful, but you are jealous and you feel different and you feel sad that you aren't like everyone else who just doesn't, I mean, it just seemed like everyone and it was like, we're going to Amsterdam. Yay. And I was like, I don't understand. Like they can just get on a plane and they've never, some people had never flown overseas and had never lived away from home that long. And, and they were just excited about it. And I thought I, that's me inside. That's really me. But I don't understand how they're doing. I, I can't do this. And so I didn't go. And when you have anxiety and that kind of stuff, and you don't want to face that it's kind of sad that you're missing out on something, you develop, or I would say, I'll speak for me, I developed coping mechanisms and defensive tools. And I became, I don't even want to go there. I mean, that's mainly like to study blah, blah, blah. And I'm studying this kind of acting, you know, back here for this semester. And I had this amazing acting teacher who did a lot of New York, you know, off-Broadway stuff. And I thought she was really cool. And then I didn't have the mentality to say, oh, I'm really sad that I didn't go to Amsterdam, but I am having an amazing experience with this acting teacher here. I, I couldn't do that. I had to be, I'm better than everyone who went. This teacher's amazing. If they want to go waste their time and run around smoking pot in a castle, like that's great, but I'm not into it. And that was another thing, too, because I wasn't a pot person because it gave me more anxiety and I just wasn't my thing. Um, And so I felt weird about that, too, because like I had tried as many times as I could to get into it. And it just every time it was like just coughing and then I couldn't breathe and then I felt anxious. And I know it's all different now, um, legalized weed and all that. I've I've dipped in, but it's it's still not my thing. And um, it's so funny to me that I can talk about that now and I'll just put a pin in it. But my mom, like, you have to understand, my mom is like kind of maybe getting into weed and I want to make like a documentary about her doing pot for the first time. She's not going to let me. None of this is ever going to happen. But the fact that we talk about it is mind altering to me. Um, anyway, so I had to walk around Amsterdam and go, God, that I'm so sad I was that person. I wonder what would be different if I hadn't lived so many years with this secret and kept myself from doing things. And I felt sad. So I walked around Amsterdam feeling a little sad and I had to grieve this thing that wasn't able to come up since then. But the people that I know that went to Amsterdam, they actually turned me off to that city because they came back. I remember this one kid, Sean. Ugh, I, he's a love dove. I'm sure he's great now, but he was so a theater kid. And so was I, but I Oh, I probably was just as bad as him, but he came back and and he ended up marrying like an older woman who was some kind of dance teacher. And at their wedding, he's like, no gifts, just make us a present. And everyone made him these masks. And I was like, this is awful. When I get married, gifts, real gifts from stores. No, no one ever make me a fucking mask. Thank you. So Sean comes back and there's this uh, coffee shop we all hung out in called Bella Vita, which was on Brimmer Street in Boston. And we smoked cigarettes in there because the life was good in the 90s and you were still allowed to smoke inside. So anyway, he lights up a joint in Bella Vita. And I'm like, that's Sean, you're smoking pot. And he goes, oh, sorry. I'm so used to being in Amsterdam when you can just like smoke weed in a coffee shop. And I'm like, really? You're that? discombobulated and I was like this Amsterdam if it's all these people like Sean making masks and forgetting they what they can and can't do in certain I don't want any of this place I can't you know I couldn't actually stand even though I saw Dazed and Confused in the movies 10 times 10 in a week this is how this is how do you understand how confused I am like I was a pot person but I wasn't 
I hated pop culture, but it, only if it had like cute boys and bell bottoms. But like, don't cheech and chong me. But yes, dazed and confused me. So I'm in Amsterdam, and now maybe it used to be different, but it's so obvious in Amsterdam that not every coffee, you don't just smoke weed in public in Amsterdam. That's what I thought you did. There are specific coffee shops, and I don't still really understand why they call them coffee shops, for doing that. And you know what they are because it looks very much like a legalized marijuana place. And it smells when you walk by like you're walking by a cigar bar. You're not like, oh, my God. Like So the fact that Sean came back and thought a regular coffee shop, like he got confused and lit up a joint, doesn't make sense with the way they look in Amsterdam, unless they used to look more like traditional coffee shops. I don't know. Again, 26 years ago. I'm sure it was very different. But anyway, I'm glad I went. I don't know if anyone, again, any scientists out there can explain to me, do we feel at home in certain places because it just matches up with our certain rhythms? And and I I hear the comments in my head. You're the, the Dutch came and colonized America and they were the worst slave owners and that's what you feel connected to, you white shit. And this is comments from white people. That's only white people talk like that. Um and and perhaps that is it. But I there was something about it. Now again, I'm projecting way too I project positive things, I'll project negative things. But when I was there, I just felt like everyone uh, first of all, I had no idea about the bike culture. I had no idea that everybody rode bikes and that bikes and cars seem to get along in perfect harmony, but bikes and people do not. Like more, no one's really walking as much as they're biking and they're going 30 miles an hour. And they do not stop. If you're in the way, it's just like, blah, blah, ding, ding. And you might get hit. But what I like about it is they've got hustle in Amsterdam, but it's not frenetic, crazy energy. It's just calm hustle. Like I'm riding my bike faster than a car and I'm smiling and I've got a little bell. And but there was something about it there where besides the Dunkin' Donuts, which was top notch, there wasn't any... um, like world conglomerate corporate thing that I felt like, oh, I could be in any city. Everything seemed, you know, I'm sure there's like stores to them that are like, no, these are all over the Netherlands, but they didn't look chainy. And so everything seemed like a one-off mom and pop store. Everything was cute and quaint and there, I didn't see chain restaurants and Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just seemed smart and calm. And you really feel that there's only 800,000 people there instead of, I don't know how many million live in L.A., but it's overwhelming. Uh, It was overwhelming coming back. So I just loved it. Now, everyone was putting in my comment sections, go to this museum. I I can't believe it doesn't compute to me that you would tell someone to go to a museum. Like, yeah, that's the thing you do when you're in a city. They're major attractions. But guess what? I didn't really fucking care about museums. And you can yell at me all you want. I've been to every museum in Paris, and it was always the worst part of my trip. I'm not really a visual art person. But I will go and I will appreciate. And I, I saw a couple of things. But I actually went to the concert battle and saw Schubert in the smaller theater, which is more like for chamber music. And that was what I wanted to do. And I wanted to go to the Anne Frank house and I ended up going. I'll tell you that story in a minute. So I'm at the concert brow and I go and it's just me and old people. And I loved it. I played piano for 12 years. I I used to play Moonlight Sonata by memory. Don't even fuck around, people. Um, Loved my teacher, Mrs. Fish. One year I gave her a present. It was a a notepad that, that... it was a pun on shopping list, and it said Chopin Lizd, L-I-Z-S-T, another composer. Anyway, I was pretty proud of myself for that gift. Who knows where I got it? There was no Amazon back then. You actually had to go out and find things with puns on them. So, oh, and I, the best part about Mrs. Fish was, so she was my piano teacher, literally like a sitcom where they're always referencing a character you never see. Like, I, you know, um, Home Improvement, I think the neighbor, you can only see his his hat above his nose. Miss Mr. Fish was always in the other room and they lived in a small house. I mean, maybe like a five room, one level house. And my mother used to tell me, Mr. Fish has, um, 
emphysema. He could die any minute. He can't breathe, so he doesn't come out. And I would always just sit there listening for, like, waiting to hear a death rattle. But I never did. I don't even know how true that was. Like, maybe he just wasn't home, or maybe he was making himself scarce because it was a small house. Um, but my mother had told me that he was dying in the other room. <laughs> I'm sure the truth was somewhere in the middle. But Mrs. Fish was incredible, and she would just get so excited, and she really loved me. And I was really more into dancing then than I was piano, and I think she wanted me to care more about piano than I did. I, I cared plenty, and I wish I cared more then, too, because that's a skill you can kind of bring into comedy. I guess dancing, too, but anyway, I didn't know any of this comedy shit was going to be happening. So I'm every year she had a recital, but she called it a piano party, and she'd make her famous punch, which was just ginger ale with sherbet ice cream in it, which I don't mean to downplay. It was fucking great. And she had her students play, and you'd have like your six-year-old who's like, clink, clong, clunk. And then the more advanced students, as we got older, I was like the one that went last, the headliner, if you will. And then when we'd be done with the recital, he made like 30 people in the living room in folding chairs. Mr. Fish, again, not there. So maybe he was dying. I don't know. Because why wouldn't he be allowed at the recital? Unless he was like some scary looking fucking dude. And she was like, you're going to scare the children and the teenage girl. So we would sit there and then at the, she'd go, well, that's the end of the recital. Um, thanks for coming. And she'd sort of like make her outro really slow. And inevitably somebody would shout out, Mrs. Fish, are you going to play? And there are always these five asshole adults who would roll their eyes like, oh, come on, we were almost out of here. And they didn't want to hear her play because they didn't appreciate piano, but everyone else did. And she would go, oh, me play? Oh, I don't, oh, I mean, maybe, okay. And then she'd get, and she'd wear these dresses like Eunice from Mama's Family, but but not in a sexy way, just, just everything was very sheer and orange and ruffly, not sheer like see-through, but ruffly. And she would sit down, and she would just, you know, amazing. It was incredible. I loved watching her play. And I think I have uh, cassette tapes of the piano parties. Um, she gave, oh, I just re- remembered this. I feel like I'm going to cry. She gave them to my mom when she died. I mean, before, not, she died and then came back as a ghost and gave my mom some cassettes. She like left them in like a little miniature will to my mom, like to give to me. Um, oh, See, you don't appreciate shit like that when you're younger. You know, she died when I was 21. I was like, I got to go to a funeral. I'm hungover. And now I'm like, she left the tapes to me. Mm. Anyway, my point is I enjoy some classical music. I am not a shitty audience member at shit like this. So I'm sitting there and I'm taking pictures. Now, there's no flash. I mean, I don't know who in this day and age doesn't understand that when you see an iPhone, you don't assume, oh, my God, a flash is going to go off. And I was taking pictures of the concert hall before the concert started. And so was the woman next to me on the right. The woman next to me on the left kept looking over. Again, I wasn't doing it in an inconvenient way. I was I was like this. I wasn't like, you know. And uh, everything in Amsterdam so far had been English and, um, oh my God, Dutch. And this was the first time that it was just no English at all. And the guy came out and introduced everyone. He's like, blink and shank and blue. And everyone came out and the program was no English, no English. And so I think everyone around me, I don't think spoke English. I don't know why I'm adding that into it. But it's at least the two people next to me um, did not join in in English when I started talking to them in English. So I take some pictures. Again, the people had not started playing yet. There was no flash. There was no rule that I could see about no photography, although maybe he made an announcement, but I couldn't understand it. And then I put my phone away, airplane mode. And then they did a quick changeover where like more people came out. And I, they were all standing on the stage in a line getting ready to sit. And so I wanted to get their pictures. They weren't even sitting yet to play their instruments. And I took my phone out and the woman next to me slapped my hand down. And I... And I was like, and I just reacted like it was like my true soul was coming out because, again, anytime I go to another country, I'm nice for like three days and then just like American asshole comes out and I smacked her hand back and and she looked at me and I went and she went and I went, it, I, I, I just was motioning and then I took a picture and she goes, she motioned to me, she goes, 
Like it gets in their eyes. I go, there's no flash on this. I go, mind your business. And then the woman next to me puts her camera down. I go, no, you take a picture. They haven't started playing it. I go, don't let this one see you, though. And she's looking at me like, I don't speak English, but I can tell by your body language that you're ranting and fucking raving. So that was it. And I just sat there during the last half, just angry. And the woman was literally looking at me out of the corner of her eye. So I just had my middle finger on my uh, lap like a child. And then I texted my sister later, and she was like, that's like the episode of Seinfeld where they they put a Pez dispenser on someone's leg or something like that. I can't remember, but I wish I'd, I wish I had done that. So that was my only altercation in Amsterdam, except uh, at the Jewish cultural center. So I didn't know I was going to get into the Anne Frank house. You know, as I told you guys in a past episode, I couldn't get tickets. And so I went to the Jewish cultural center. I went all over the different music. Like that's my jam. Like Rembrandt, I get it, but I want to see where people were taken from their homes. I want to see the plaques. I want to feel, I want to, uh, just, I fucking hate Nazis. And I know it's obvious and that's like an easy thing to hate. But when you see these objects from little children, just like a tiny violin and pictures of these cute little kids and, and these, just these psychos rolled through. I mean, it's, it's still, I can't get my mind around it and I've never really stood anywhere. Oh, I guess I haven't been to Paris. Um, no, I have been to many places that Nazis rolled through, but I don't know. There was something about it this time that really hit me. So I'm at the Jewish Cultural Center, and I went and looked at this exhibit there about religious artifacts and chalices and things used in, you know, services, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. And um, I believe some of the objects had been stolen from people by the Nazis, but they had been gotten back and so they were all encased in glass what encased in glass so the guy working there uh takes my ticket and he says where are you from and i said with a little bit of shame america and he said um he made a face and well i'll do the face and some of this is on camera and and he was like and i said well i didn't vote for trump I i didn't vote for him and if anyone listening is a trump supporter um, don't get all offended. You're, you're the snowflake if you can't even hear another person's opinion. And he goes, oh, he's harmless. I go, no, he's not. I mean, this is during the whole, the Kurds who are our allies are suddenly being slaughtered and we're doing Russia's idea of global domination. Like he is, as Nancy Pelosi said this week, this is Putin's playbook. So he's turning America into a third world country and a, a, I don't even know what, oligarchy, dictatorship, whatever you want to call it. And he goes, he's harmless. And I go, no, no, we don't. You're at the Jewish Cultural Center, you freak. Like, you never, you're not putting two and two together that you're saying the same words that people said about Hitler. And that's why it took so fucking long for people to catch on to what the hell was happening. Like, oh, it just, I know this one's, this part's crazy, but they're harmless. They're harmless. They'll take care of the communists and then we'll take care of them. No, no, nobody's harmless. And so he goes up. You know, I don't love him, but he'll, he'll be in another four years. I go, he can't. He cannot. The world will come to an end. He's like, no, it's fine. I go, it's not. And he said, I don't love him. He goes, but his daughter is an intellect on the world stage. I go, no, she's not. And I'm thinking like, well, is it because she's married to Jared, who's Jewish? Like, like there cannot be a, a, a blind allegiance. Like, there's no way this guy's that stupid, like that he doesn't realize that Jared is not to be trusted either and that the two of them are in on all of this. And so I just said, I, to- I told on him. I told on him. I-, I left and I went and told the woman that was taking coats. And I said, he told me Donald Trump was harmless. And I think that's really dangerous language considering what we're studying here. And she just looked at me like, I- enough. Enough with your Catholic weird um, guilt about the Holocaust. So then uh, that was fine. And then I took pictures of homes that people had lived in that ended up dying in Auschwitz and outside their homes on the little cobblestone was plaques um, honoring them. So I took pictures of the plaques. I put it as part of my Instagram stories. And this guy direct messaged me and said, in case you don't know, those are plaques of people that died in Auschwitz. And the plaque says deported on this date, even though I saw what it said, like it said like deported with a K, like some weird version of the word. And I almost lost my mind. I was like, I can't, I, I can't believe 
that men really have that low opinion of women where they're like, I bet she doesn't even know she's looking at a Holocaust thing. So this really nice woman comes to my show. By the way, my show was great in Amsterdam. Thanks, everyone, for coming. People came from all over. This woman came from Ethiopia. I mean, what the fuck? I'm glad you did because I'm probably not going to perform there anytime soon. It was great. And not that this is like the sign of how good a show is, but in the middle of the show, if you had stopped me and said, where are you? I'd been like, I don't know, uh, uh, New York. Like it just, there was no cultural differences where I had to change anything or worry about it. Everyone just, it was better than most of my American shows. Certainly better than my shows in Athens and Nashville, you heckling rude apes. And I will not be playing those cities anytime soon again. Okay. So. I will continue to shame cities that act that way until you, you can control your people. So Amsterdam was probably one of my favorite shows of the year. And uh, this woman afterwards said uh, she had asked me, she works in some kind of media and she was like, can I interview you for something? And I said, if it's an email interview, yes. And so she sent me some questions. But um, the next day I woke up to an email from her and it was a ticket to the Anne Frank house for that day. And I was like, how did you do this? And she's like, I don't worry about it. And I still don't know how she did it. If she, I I don't know. Um, And I went and I'm so glad I went. I think it was so life altering. And it was interesting too, because I, I haven't read the book since I was a teenager. And I think you just sort of remember the book in your mind and then it becomes this, um, common wisdom. She hid in an attic and you just picture a girl alone in an attic, which is horrifying. But it's actually even more horrifying because it was really a six room apartment that I know David Sedaris wrote a really funny essay about this in one of his books about how he was touring it and going, this is awesome. Like this is the best real estate ever. I mean, in general, yes, if you weren't hiding from the Nazis um, and you weren't having to black out the windows or not flush toilets or not make noise, or not know that any second someone could bust in and kill you. Like, of course, it would. it's amazing real estate in it. But I still don't really understand how it works. But her Anne Frank and her family and a few other people were being hidden by this guy who owned a factory. I think it was Prison Grocked Street or something. And there was an annex in the factory that was sort of between two buildings. And you can't see it from the street, but it did have windows And his offices were there. So we got to go in this guy's offices, the guy that hit everybody. And all of the rooms were empty, but there were giant photos on the wall of what the furniture used to be in the room and what it used to look like so you could get a sense of your surroundings. And then there was the bookshelf. And that was that was the pivotal part of this whole thing. So he had a bookshelf. And that was what was really affecting about the way they do this tour is everything's empty. Um. There's really no much of anything, but this bookshelf is how it starts. And it is the original bookshelf and the papers on it are from the 40s. And it's it's just, I don't know, again, that energy of old objects, it's something, I felt it. So the uh, bookshelf just looks like a bookshelf in someone's office and then you open it and it leads up to the stairs to the annex. Now, the annex is two floors, and there is a kitchen, a tiny weird bathroom, and uh, a couple other rooms. So, I mean, obviously, it's not ideal. You don't, six people should not be living there. But I think that was what was more horrifying about it to me was it seemed like real life probably sometimes because they did have things, but it was this bizarre version where you were in hiding for no, I mean, for no good reason. I mean, the good reason is to stay away from the Nazis, but I mean, the fact that anyone's even in this situation is so absurd to me. And so they couldn't run the water and they couldn't flush the toilets because the people in the factory would hear them. And I forgot that it wasn't the Nazis on patrol that found them. Um, It was they were given up at the last minute by some anti-Semitic person that found out that was part of the factory or work there or something. I mean, they were so close to getting away with it. The war, I mean, I think Normandy had already happened and... It's it's horrifying. Anyway, but what I loved about it was the 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 balls on Anne Frank. Like, forget the the that she's hiding from the Nazis. She was just like, I'm a fucking great writer. I'm gonna be a writer. I'm gonna be a famous writer. Fame, 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 right, right, right. It was so cute. And I just you just loved it. And they had behind glass the original walls of her bedroom. 
And her dad had allowed her to bring her pictures of movie stars. And she used, um, you know, rubber glue. And so the walls were just pictures of Ginger Rogers and Shirley Temple and all these handsome men. And there was something about it that once again reminded me that it's okay to find joy during really difficult times in history where either you're being oppressed or people are being oppressed and you're not and you're guilty because of it. You don't have to be in trauma every fucking second. Like the point of fighting against everything is so that we can have freedom to live very frivolous, fun lives. And so I enjoy that she was like, listen, what's important to me is Shirley Temple and Ginger Rogers. I mean, I, I yes, the, the Nazis have become important to me because I'm now in this position of hiding from them. But that's not what I'm interested in, per se. I'd like to talk about these movie stars. So I just, but there was something, and again, I, I'm calling out to the scientists as I did the beginning of the episode. Does it affect your DNA if you've been in a place like that? I, I don't know what it was, but it it just stopped me. Just being in there quieted me. And I couldn't speak and I just was tearing up and I just didn't want to talk the rest of the day. I mean, I was by myself, so who am I talking to anyway? But I just was, I wasn't even in any kind of contemplation. It was just, I had no extra buzz about me. There was just, it was just calm. And it, and it, and it did something to me. And it, I think it's important to, I don't know. I, it was just a profound experience. I do not have the words for it. Um, no small talk in Amsterdam, which I loved. And I guess it's because they don't, you know, like a lot of places in Europe, it's not a tipping culture. But I'd like to think that even if tips were, you know, how they paid their rent, that they wouldn't be like, how's your day going so far? No, one person asked me how my day was going so far. If I went into a shop, you know what we talked about? The purchase at hand. And I, I had so many great conversations about a piece of clothing I was buying or like the history of the store or the restaurant. It, it was actually like talking to people and they knew I was from somewhere else. And they'd say, where are you from? And I'd say, Los Angeles. And they'd go, great. They didn't know, what do you do for a living? Nobody cares. It's not an interesting question at all. So it made me so happy. And and this is where I am like that asshole Sean that I talked about where I'm like, I guess I'm just more European that way where I think it's very tacky to talk about what you do for a living. Um, I took a ton of photos. They were all on my Instagram stories. Everyone was like, you're an amazing photographer. I'm like, is everyone dumb? It's a fucking iPhone, people. I don't know how to do photography. I just put it in portrait mode and contour and boom, you got a beautiful b- blue sky. And the thing is, you know, I I know I'm not a good photographer because I took photography in high school. I made a pinhole camera. We used to take boxes and stick a pin in it and do some kind of thing and photograph stuff. I mean, I, it seems genius when I think back on it and develop film. I mean, I learned how to develop film, but I was just never any good at it. My pictures had no depth. That thing where you're like, the background's blurry, but you're concentrating on the rose. My pictures were always just flat. So... I have no skills, but I I can portrait mode like a motherfucker. So thank you guys for saying that. (coughs) Well, that's disgusting. Um, Hey, let's, as long as we're talking about my travels, let's get into this week's sponsor, Away Luggage. I brought my Away Luggage with me. And seriously, everyone thinks you're rich when you have Away Luggage. It looks like it's worth thousands of dollars. And people come up to you and they're like, oh, my God, are you like a queen or something? You're like, no, I'm just a regular person who knows about Away Luggage. And they're like, this is gorgeous. I love Away Luggage. So here's the deal. Go to awaytravel.com slash fun and use promo code fun at checkout. You're going to get $20 off of a suitcase. And... If you get yourself a matching three-piece set, which I highly recommend, they will automatically give you a $100 discount for a carry-on, a medium, and a large suitcase. So in addition to the 20 bucks off of just one suitcase that I'm offering you today, you can get $120 off a luggage set. So here's the deal. Away is made with premium German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, and it's very lightweight. These My suitcases take a beating because I check my bags. Patent pending compression system on the inside. You can stuff that thing. 360 degree spinner wheels. It's great. And the carry ons can charge all of your cell phones. And you can take the battery out if TSA is being a dick that day. And lifetime warranty. And this has happened to me. One time, this little tiny like clasp in the suitcase broke. And I was like, can you guys just give me a new one? They give me a new suitcase. I was like, I'm in a new clasp. So if you are in New York and LA, you can go to the stores in person. Otherwise, lifetime warranty, anything breaks, they'll fix it, replace it for life. 
You can return. You can buy anywhere in the lower 48 states online. Live with it. Travel with it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, after 100 days, you can return it for a full refund. No questions asked. Now, here's the deal. Holidays are coming up. Buy yourself a gift. And then that way, when you go back and have to go see your family or your spouse's family and you're like, this sucks, you'll be like, you know what? I'm having fun with my awesome luggage. Like, this is going to make the trip better. I'm finally... I'm finally going to look like an adult when I arrive to meet my fiance's parents. It's like you're in a Hallmark movie. So anyway, awaytravel.com slash fun. Use promo code fun at checkout. That's 20 bucks off a suitcase. If you get the whole set, it's 120. So there you go. I love my away. And uh, again, it was founded by two friends from New York who found themselves at JFK with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea, luggage with power. That's how their carry-on with charging capabilities was born. Pretty cool. All right, back to the show. Anyway, I really highly recommend you guys come to my December 13th show at the Hollywood Improv. Um, I really, 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 really need y'all to buy those tickets in advance. It's seriously the greatest night of the year. I don't want to give away who the guests are, but we'll have some special, special guests. And if you've never been, it's super fun. I sing an Elvis song. We usually read, I do like a a lifetime Netflix Hallmark, like Christmas movie sketch that I write. Um, uh, There's usually some kind of like weird staged reading Christmas fact I do about some fucked up aspect of Christmas. One year I talked about the controversial story of Mary getting pregnant out of the blue and Joseph was a bad carpenter. Last year I debunked the song, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Who knows what this year's little thing will be. And uh, there's going to be music and singing along and candy and fucked up stories. I mean, this isn't all joy. This is this is for people. Uh, last year, I asked the audience, how many of you feel depressed and like nobody understands you and like you're dreading the holidays and the entire room exploded in applause. And I said, good. Everyone here feels the same way when you're at Christmas being miserable. Just think of this room full of people and think of this night. And this is your Christmas. And and it means a lot to me. So it would be heartbreaking if this show stopped selling out. So please come. And I'm selling and signing books after the show. It makes a great Christmas gift. And half the proceeds of all my book sales will go to the Los Angeles Food Bank. So there's a possibility of us giving them at least 500 bucks. So that's pretty cool. All right. Bing, bong, boom. Here is the social media thing. I have just started a Instagram page for this podcast. It is at Jen Kirkman podcast. And if you are not an Instagram person, then you can follow along at facebook.com slash having funless pod or Twitter at funlessness pod. Here's the deal. I don't know you guys are listening. I mean, I can look at the numbers and see that people obviously listen. But when you hide in your secret rooms, I I love the comments. So please comment on episodes. Talk about things. I get sad when I check all the social media and I don't see any comments. So would you guys fucking comment? And you can also email me, iseemfun at gmail.com. I'll read your email on air. So that's what we've got. Now, uh, how many minutes have I done? 48 minutes. Mm. Great. We still have a little more time, yeah? Oh, I was going to go back to my mom and weed. So here's the deal. My mom is from that generation where she thought pot was heroin and that if it was a gateway drug and all this stuff. And I wrote a note to, I don't know, we wrote notes back in the 90s because we didn't have fucking phones. And so I wrote a note. I like had a letter correspondence with my friends that went to other colleges. And I wrote, I tried pot and I don't know, like I get don't like it's fun, but I don't get it. And I don't know how my mom intercepted that letter. Like I somehow maybe never mailed it and it was in a notebook and I came home. My mom used to blatantly look through my things. And I was out and then I came back in. Like I think I was home for the weekend doing laundry or something. And my dad was just like, your mom's in bed. And I was like, uh-oh, that was not a good thing. And she was crying. She was upset. She just couldn't even look at me. She thought I was a druggie. Now, I didn't really turn out to be a pot person. Again, because the smoking of it is just, it makes me cough, even though I smoked cigarettes. But it just it didn't, it wasn't my thing. Um, did I enjoy Hycodin cough syrup if I ever had bronchitis? You bet I did. You know what I mean? That's more my my vibe. So I uh, now I'm, I'm in L.A. And, and weed is legal. And I'm, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I carry Clonopin around in case I have a panic attack. Like maybe I could should get into edibles and, and CBD and that could soothe me. Now, I've tried all the CBD under the tongue stuff. It does jack squat 
I, I guess if you've been taking clonopin for 30 years, like as needed on and off, not every day, my God, not even every month, but, um, it just doesn't, I'm like, I don't, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't do anything. Um, and then people are like, okay, then get THC. And I'm like, given I don't feel calm. I just feel like hazy. And so I did an edible once and it was supposed to like make you feel creative. And, and I, I thought, I thought I had fallen out of my chair when I hadn't. And I just like went like that. And I was like, oh, that was weird. And then I was like, well, that wasn't interesting at all. And I certainly wasn't more creative at all. And then I took one. Um, I had to go to my friend's wedding last year. And I was like, you know what? I'll do um, edibles instead of drinking because I have to get up early to get on a plane. And I don't want to be hungover. And I know me if I. And so I did. And I was like, it was fun. But it, you don't catch that buzz. Like, it's just not my thing. Um, and then I took some once when I went to see like a Broadway show and I was like, again, the chair thing's happening. And then I had vape pens for like relaxing and I was like, I am relaxed, but again, I can't breathe. So I just, I, I, I let it all expire. I was like, it's not my thing. Um, and I had some CBD under the tongue stuff that kind of tastes literally like grass, like on the front lawn grass. I'm not trying to be like grass, man. And, uh, those did actually kind of work. But they taste so gross. I was like, eh, it's fine. Anyway, now all of this, I would not have been able to say this, knowing my mom listens to this podcast, like never bedever would I've ever, ever, ever been able to say this. But I had to keep it a secret. And I think what's funny is I, I think her mentality is probably the same as my, or my mentality is probably the same as hers. Like, well, it's legal. So that was like when I started like being like, okay, well, you know, I can get into it now. I just want to be those pe- one of those people with a dealer. Like, if you're going to have a dealer, then you go hard. Do meth. I'm not going to get busted for having a pot dealer. Like, it was just never my thing. Um, anyway, but my mom is all into CBD. And she's like, I know it's psychoactive. I'm like, it's not. And she's like, and I think she wants it to be. So I'm like, yes, you are probably high. She's like, but she, I, my mom is, a. I have diagnosed her with anxiety. And she'll always say no, 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 no. But uh, I have seen a change in her in the last year since she does under the tongue CBD. And she does it for um, pain in her wrists that was not fixed by surgery. And I'm like, keep with the CBD. I like this. I like this lady. She's she's calm. She's fun. And um, she said her friends at the casino are telling her it's really the THC that's really going to help you with pain. CBD doesn't help with pain. And so I go, oh, mom, you got to try it. Now, I don't know why I'm pushing this on my mom when I just went into a whole thing about I'm not a pot person. But I'm like, I know that deep in your heart, this resistance you had to drug people was because you were secretly jealous. It was like me with Amsterdam. You got to get high. I don't I don't know. I'm just thinking about it. I go, do it. And I will film it. Jennifer, no, we're not doing filming me getting high. I go, I told my sister, I go, mom's going to get high. I'm going to film it. She's like, I don't want any part of this. I go, why? She goes, because I'm not giving her drugs. I go, not you. I go, listen, th- you don't have to do anything about this. Like, you just have to collect the millions when we put an 81-year-old woman on YouTube who's trying pot for the first time. It's going to be gorgeous. Not like to make fun of her, but I think it would be a beautiful experience. It's never happening, by the way. She's never going to do this. Um, anyway, I don't have any Oslo stories, except I was on this boat and they told me I couldn't sit in this little area, even though no one was sitting in it. It's not a good story. The, the one at the symphony was better. And I don't want to sound like Larry David, like I can't go anywhere. All, all these horrible things happen all the time. That, that wasn't it at all. Anyway, um, I was staying at a hotel called the Grand Hotel. And it sounds grand and it really was pretty. But it's one of those like super fancers places that actually isn't that expensive. But it was in the heart of the city. And I feel like, oh, eh, I stayed like there shouldn't be a Victoria's Secret too close to where you're staying if you're traveling overseas or, or you know, like a 7-Eleven. It's just like, mm. but it was still, I mean, a gorgeous place. But it, I liked the... Uh, the bar of the hotel was a giant and I don't mean bar like sitting getting drunk all day. I sat and had coffee and I, I picked this one day to do some work because it was raining and I read the, uh, you know, the menu and they named the grand hotel bar Othelia and they named it after this woman named Othelia Lassen Engelhart. And I just wrote this down or typed it down because I liked it. I typed it down. She was a lively character amongst the Bohemian crowd of the late 1800s, and she represented the era of Bohemian women who dared to break taboos. She learned that the Grand Cafe was only for men at the time. 
but that did not detour her, detour her. And so she attended debates, smoked cigarettes, and enjoyed her cocktails. I fucking love that. So there you go, Othelia. By the way, that reminds me, I have agreed to do another drunk history, even though I said I retired. And I am recording it next week. And God help me, I don't, I haven't been as drunk as I have on a drunk history in four years, I think is the last time I did one. And I'm terrified. So let's get to the listener emails. We'll just wrap it up this way. Um, Jen, I've just finished listening to your podcast episode, Anxiety. I felt I had to email to say thank you for your breath out tip. I tried it straight away, just tried to imagine if it would help when I'm anxious. And oh my God, it made complete sense. I realize now when I've been trying to take a deep breath, I've already been tensed, so have not been able to do that fully and also been holding it in once I'm there. Breathing out completely means my body has no choice but to take a full and natural breath after. Amazing. I feel a total reset from this simple method. So there you go, everybody. I did it on my Instagram stories as well. I'm not a deep breath person. There's a massage place in LA called The Now. They think they're so relaxing. And then they have these annoying massage therapists who like try to add their own touch to everything. And this woman I went to a couple times and I'm not going to her anymore is like, take three deep breaths. And then she leads you in it. I'm like, don't, I, this is not relaxing. You telling me that I have to go, <sighs> that doesn't relax me. So um, she also said when I left, you're very tight. Do you know what you did? And I said, that's not really how you talk to someone. Like that's actually these people who think they know how to relax. That's not relaxing. You don't tell someone they're tight and then blame them like it's something they did. I said, yeah, I've been living 45 years and I have arthritis in my in my neck. So I didn't do anything wrong except survive. And uh, I kept meaning to write the manager about her. But why get someone in trouble? I just I'll, I'll avoid her from now on. Mm. But my breathing tip was this that I learned from doing the Alexander technique, which is amazing. And um, I won't get into it. But it's a whole system of taking care of your body. So you just breathe out. And then you wait for your body to naturally start breathing again. So there you go. I mean, it's that easy. And that's how you relax. Um, hang on one sec. Okay, nope. And then here we go. We're just going to finish up. finishing up. Oh, sorry. I had to finish up the last few minutes. The live thing uh, cuts off after an hour, which means it's time to go anyway. So here we go. Um, one more thing. Oh, somebody on Twitter said she never thought of talking about her phobias and anxiety in therapy. She just talks about her day-to-day stuff. And that was from a post I had put when the hashtag was mental health awareness day. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, we have so far to go. Yes. Talk to your therapist about everything. Anxiety and panic are the most solvable things on earth, like way more than other psychiatric disorders. Like it's the best use of therapy possible. And it all comes from cognitive behavior, things you've been telling yourself that you don't even know you're doing. And it does, you got to connect that and tell your therapist, my God, you guys. Um, So. uh, Advice for our DNA test listener. I only got one email about this. Come on, people. Um, A listener last week took a DNA test, found out an old family friend was her dad and not her dad, but her dad's already dead. So I asked listener emails if they had any advice, if they had any personal experiences. One woman did not have any personal experience, but she said, this has not happened to me, but she definitely has to tell that old man that he's her biological dad. It's the kind of thing that you would rather not know, but you can't unknow. Even if the DNA dad responds in the worst, most callous way, it's better to have that information than to let the guy die and never know. I don't agree with that, but okay. She doesn't have to feel guilty about her dead dad, and she also shouldn't feel guilty about having some anger toward her mother and expressing that to her. I mean, it can be phrased like, this is really difficult for me instead of you're a fucking bee for hiding my real dad from me or whatever. Liv Tyler went through something similar with Todd Rundgren and Steven Tyler, except that Bebe Buell knew that Tyler was the real father and just hid it. Although that's so, I mean, she looks just like Steven Tyler. So Liv must have processed anger at some point. Who knows? I don't know, Liv, but I watched her very relaxing house tour and skincare tutorial. But now she seems to have two nice daddies. Anyway, there's no denying that this whole thing must be a mindfuck, and she should totally get a therapist to sort it through with. I do believe the listener was in therapy. I'm going to start coughing. (coughs) Oh, my God, aren't you guys lucky? Woo! Please leave a review on iTunes. That is the best way 
to help spread Christmas cheer all throughout the year. Uh, one review from a man, I'm usually fond of Jen Kirkman's comedy work. However, listening to the podcast is like being on the phone with my mother and her random ranting and raving. Well, sexism is alive and well. So those one-star reviews, they do not help. They tank the podcast, and men still insist on doing it. So if you want to fight the patriarchy and you want to take a stand, give my goddamn iTunes review five stars and write something nice like this person. I loved, loved, loved the anxiety episode. As someone with panic disorder, I can relate to those feelings. I'm so happy to have discovered her comedy and this podcast. My favorite part is when she rifles through papers and looks at her phone during the episode. It's like talking with a hilarious friend for an hour on the landline. There you go. Um, so there you go, everybody. This is, uh, this is my podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you're new to it, next week, Oh, I'm going to talk about, well, who knows? I already I have it already, but I don't, need, I don't need to start giving teasers. Let's not start that crap. Anyway, until next week, have fun. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.